The Athletic. Mark Chapman, welcome to the Athletic Football Pod. Uh, Adam Crafton will take us inside the Premier League meeting yesterday that ended with clubs deciding to try and carry on playing all scheduled matches over Christmas despite the continuing COVID outbreaks. We'll also be joined by the Athletics' Phil Hay and Don Fifield who cover Leeds and Chelsea respectively, two of the clubs who have been really affected by the chaos that's going on and have made no secret of their displeasure at the current state of play. Since last week's pod then, we've had nine Premier League fixtures postponed due to COVID outbreaks in a number of teams across the league. Uh, The Premier League chairman and owners held a Zoom meeting on Monday afternoon to discuss the situation. It was thought that postponing an entire round of fixtures over Christmas was looking likely. However, the final outcome was to do nothing and just carry on. Uh, Adam, why do you think they went with this option? Probably because there's, there's still insufficient data is one reason, you know, to clearly show, I suppose, how how serious um, this current variant is. I think that's one of the reasons, a bit like the reason that the government chose, you know, not to take really, really drastic restrictive measures um, earlier this week. And also because, you know, when the data is, is inconclusive, the government, the Premier League, I think, are minded not to go and lose or spend a lot more money um, which it will cost them to, to, to make this decision. So ultimately, you've had a, a series of meetings over the last few days where everyone's had a lot of conversations, considered three different options in the case of the Premier League. I think the first one was, do we just pause the Premier League for a few weeks? The second one was, can we eliminate game week 20, um, which is the fixtures December the 28th to 30th? Or number three, which is, uh, do we just crack on? Um, and try and play as many games as we can. And that's the one they've gone with. Are they, are they looking, you talk about the data and all of that, are they mainly looking at this from a fan's perspective? Which, of course, is, you know, originally was was the very first thing, i.e. transmissions within a, within Stadia. Because at the moment, the to me, the situation feels different to, to the first lockdown, second lockdown, because this really at the moment is about players getting it, teams being weakened considerably and fans being taken for mugs. Yeah, I basically agree, Mark. Um, I think the, the problem the Premier League has is they're being unable at the moment to, to put on games. Um, they're failing to deliver their product. Is their concern fans? They will always say their concern is fans. I think probably the major concern is their staff, their players keep getting positive tests. I mean, it was up to over 90 this past week, which has made so many games just untenable. In terms of the fans, I mean, it's I think fans are being put in a really, really difficult position now over the next few weeks because, you know, I was just looking at, you know, I live in London. I was looking at the data near where I live yesterday compared to where I will be going in Manchester for Christmas. And the cases, the percentage, you know, which it's rising is four times higher in London. So it's, you know, anyone who understands that this is a pandemic that trans- transmits by social mixing can see it's a really bad idea probably to be traveling around the country but that's exactly what we're going to be asking of football fans over the next few weeks and we're leaving it in their in their call to, to make that decision and, and you know some people will be really happy to have that freedom and make that choice and other people will feel really anxious about it 
all right, well, first thing, don't you come up here to Manchester <laughs> spreading spreading that London <laughs> spreading that London disease? I tell you. Well, <laughs> um, Let's talk it from a Chelsea and Leeds perspective, just to get two clubs here. As I said at the start, you know, they've both been affected by this chaos in in very different ways. When you hear what Adam said about the meeting and, and it was chairman and owners, do you think, Dom, that all clubs are in alignment here? As in that chairmen think the same as managers think the same as players? I suspect that all... There isn't alignment amongst the, the twenty clubs. There isn't alignment within those clubs as well. I, I, I think a lot of a lot of different individuals have a lot of different uh, opinions on this, and they'll be motivated in different ways. I mean, it's it's understandable that head coaches and managers would would want some games postponed at the moment because well, they've been denied their their best players, so they're not they're not getting their best best teams out on the pitch, and they're not showcasing what they're. What they can, what they can do, and we all know that the pressures will still apply to managers, in particular. Um, you know, if they're not delivering on, on the pitch, uh, they, they, their jobs will come under threat in the new year. Whatever happens, I mean, Chelsea's case, Thomas Tuchel was quite vocal around the the Wolverhampton Wanderers fixture on Sunday, talking about health and safety, and not he didn't believe that that. The decision to, to play that game the, with the appeal rejected by the Premier League to have it postponed. Um, he didn't believe that was in the players' best interest, basically. But he wasn't talking just about COVID. He was talking about the implications of COVID as well. I mean, Chelsea had six confirmed positive cases on the day of that game. A seventh player, Jorginho, returned positive and negative tests and was arrested as a precaution in the same way that Kai Havertz had been against Everton the previous Thursday night, which I think is probably Chelsea being responsible on, on that front. But because that denied him six first-team players, he argued that that meant that N'Golo Conte, who the sports scientist said could only really make 45 minutes, play 45 minutes of football after one training session and a month out, um, he ended up playing 90 minutes of football, so he therefore risked muscular injury or, or, or a relapse of some kind. Matteo Kovacic had been out for two months with a, a serious hamstring problem and COVID. And the one day after his isolation ended from, from COVID, he was back in the Chelsea matchday squad and, and indeed coming on in the second half. Trevor Chaloba had been out for three or four weeks. And again, he played the first 45 minutes of that game. Now, but, but, but Dom, he did have yeah, Saul and Barkley exactly. on the bench. He could have played, right? That is, that is, that is the counter-argument, and I have a lot of sympathy for that. I think from the outside looking in, given that A, Chelsea have loaned out so many good young players on season-long loans who might otherwise have been around the place, they've taken Saul Niguez, who they clearly have no faith in, really, um, although he did actually do quite a good job when he came on in the second half at Wolves, barring one bad mistake. He was on the bench when they could have played him in central midfield instead of N'Golo Conte. Um, and they could have found a way, with a bit of forward planning and maybe yeah, anticipating the worst, they, they could have had under-23s on that bench instead of just four outfield players and two goalkeepers. You know, whether that would have done any good or not, whether they, Tuchel would have been inclined to use any of them is neither here nor there. They, they could have had more bodies on that bench. And I suspect that when they, if they play their quarterfinal League Cup tie against Brentford on Wednesday, that it will be a team that does include on 23s quite a lot. So I don't think the bubble issue is, is so much of a problem these days. But but 
does it warp the competition? Does does I mean Tuchel might argue, well, yeah, it does, and it is placing if he if he's going to put so much faith in on Golo Conte to 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 play ninety minutes there, then it does risk injury to that player. It's a very difficult question to answer. He wasn't, as we sometimes say, sending a message with the selection of his bench and the selection of his team. Look, look, this is what I'm having having to to do because of the situation. They were angry, but then I suspect logistics came into it as well. They'd been in Wolverhampton since Saturday night. They'd stayed at a hotel overnight. They'd had the the Premier League representative turning up at 8.30 on Sunday morning with a load of lateral flow tests so that they could check um, that... Jorginho, for example, was a whether it was a real positive or a false positive. I, I don't. It would have taken more planning, it, and and the reality was that Chelsea had four days where they kept getting positive tests, um, and they had in the course of those four days they travelled on a three-hour coach journey to Wolverhampton and back again. They had dinner together, so there was always the risk of more cases. It, when Tuchel addresses the media today at one thirty, it'll be really interesting to see whether or not they have had more cases. I mean, Jorginho's back in training. He's he's trained, so that clearly wasn't a, a false negative. He presumably will be available for the game on, on Wednesday if required. But there was always the risk that they would pick up more cases because they had cases within the camp. So we'll see. Where are Leeds at the moment, Phil, with, with all of this. I was going to say, in, in what sense, really? There are a lot, lot of issues at, at Leeds, and it, it, it can't be pinned to COVID um, as a as a whole. They they have, by a mile, the worst list of injuries, absences I've ever seen at the club, to the extent that on Saturday, eight of the players, they were so young on Saturday, that eight of the players would have been Premier League debutants if they'd come on. Archie Gray, who is the, the grandson of Frank Gray, the great-nephew of mm. Eddie Gray, would have broken the record as Leeds' youngest ever player that Peter Lorimer's held um, since the, the 1960s. If, if he had come on, he's he, he's 15 years old. Th- that's not COVID-related. And, you know, they, there, there are major, major injury problems at Leeds. I think the issue for them at the weekend was that they were watching postponement after postponement in the Premier League. And, and essentially the Premier League accepting that club after club were compromised by COVID to such an extent that the games couldn't go ahead. And in the absence of any data, and that there isn't really any strict data from the Premier League which tells you exactly how compromised any club actually is, Leeds were left thinking, is anybody else actually in a worse position than us? We don't have major COVID cases. They do have a couple. They, they didn't actually confirm that Diego Llorente missed the game with COVID on Saturday, but Bielsa was talking about a 10-day absence for him. So once you start to put the pieces together, it seems pretty obvious what, what's going on there. But they didn't have a wide COVID outbreak, yet they still felt that they were probably in as poor a position in terms of players they were able to call upon as, as anybody else in the league. And an ally to that is the fact that their vaccination rate, they think, is the best in, in the division. They're very, very close to 100%, and they will get to 100% um, among the, the players and, and first-team staff. And as somebody at Leeds said to me, the different rules when it comes to isolation um, for pl- players who are vaccinated and, and players who aren't vaccinated, therefore, there's not a consistent application of postponement protocol because some clubs will suffer in a bigger way if there's a COVID outbreak. Some clubs like Leeds, where the vaccinations are at a, a really high rate, should be more protected from it. Uh, so, yeah, the, in, in terms of COVID, the pressure at the moment is not particularly severe, but I think they are looking at, at the general situation and, and certainly on Saturday feeling that if there was an argument about who across the league had the least players and was least prepared for a game, it was almost certainly them. How, how have they managed to, to get their 
vaccination rate so high compared to some other clubs? Do you know? There's been very little resistance to it um, from um, inside the dressing room. There's also a good piece um, from Henry Winter in the Times this morning, which is talking about the um, head of medicine and performance at Leeds, Rob Price, and the fact that he lost both of his parents in a very short period of time to COVID. And and even prior to that, Price was one of the the um, one of the doctors in the Premier League, one of the medical men who was first on to COVID. Leeds had their their, their initial meeting about it um, in January 2020, which was fully two months before the, the season locked down. And Price, I know, spends a lot of time reading journals and research about COVID to try and try and prepare for it. He's, he's very well trusted in the dressing room, so the players were happy to take his advice. And he was very clear in saying, you know, you, you should be taking the vaccine. But also they, they were in a, a fortunate position, I guess, or, or a good position where a lot of the senior players wanted to go first with the vaccine and were happy to go first with the vaccine. And because they'd taken it, because they'd had the jabs, it was far easier to kind of spread the message through the dressing room that everybody else should be doing this. So they are well on with first jabs, second jabs, boosters. Um, they will get to, to 100%. And in terms of COVID, it does put them in a, a much stronger position. But it also means that they are less prone, I would say, to postponements because of the fact that, that so many players are vaccinated. He doesn't fancy being Prime Minister, does he? He sounds great. <laughs> there are probably quite a few people in the game who'd be better than that. <laughs> but he'd be one of them. Yeah, certainly. <laughs> um, it's, it's an interesting way of looking at it, Adam, isn't it? That, that, that if you have the high vaccination rate as a, as a club, in some ways, you, you might, in Leeds' case, they're probably suffering because of that actually when it yeah. comes to the postponements yeah i suppose they're also suffering because and it like it worked it's worked for in the past couple of years so it's it's harsh to criticize but they're also suffering because he's chosen to have a really small squad and not add as many players as maybe other managers might have added over the last couple of years i would also say there might be question marks over what's going what's happening in training for them to pick up this many injuries over you know it, it might be really really unlucky um, and I'm sure they're covering every base in terms of looking at that and seeing what can we adapt to to limit injuries at this time. But yeah, it's definitely there is definitely an issue in terms of some clubs have been far more successful at convincing their players that the vaccine's a good idea than others. I think that there seems to be a pattern in terms of if it's a club that's experienced a level of success and trust with the current with the current manager and his backroom team or has a long-standing relationship with the medical team there, as in the case of Leeds. Or you look at Liverpool where, you know, does everyone in the Liverpool dressing room instinctively, you know, think vaccines are amazing, I'm going to get that? Or is it also a little bit of Jurgen Klopp being a really dominant personality, persuasive personality, charismatic personality that's managed to convince them? I think Wolves was a bit different in that I think the ownership obviously sensed very early, given that they're from the Far East, how serious... Um, this pandemic was going to become and put measures in place early and then when the vaccine came along the players because of their I suppose long-standing trust with the board were able to do that maybe there's other clubs that haven't quite got that same culture within a club and that's I think one of the things that's that's maybe impacting them at the moment and and also Dom and I, and I saw a tweet from Barney Ronnie at the, at the Guardian on this looking at, at vaccination rates I, I think you know, the latest stats, 16% of Premier League players are unvaccinated. That figure goes up to 25% in the EFL. But that is very similar to 
20 to 30 year olds in England anyhow. I mean, f- footballers are not in the main unusual here compared to the rest of society when it comes to vaccine take up. No, we probably forget that. That's that's they they there's clearly a, a sense that they feel as if they don't need the vaccine that they can fight off the virus. They're fit and healthy young people um and they they don't need to do it, but I, I don't know, I suspect that I mean, I don't know whether this has been uh, whether this has been verified, but but it, the suggestion is that, that that it may well be that unvaccinated players suddenly have to start training on their own from now on, and because because they risk if they do come into contact with with somebody who's tested positive, they risk going into isolation for ten days, and that's you know in on a, on a purely football level and 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 a business level for these clubs that is denying those clubs that player for for ten days, um, whereas if they'd been fully vaccinated then you know they would have been technically available still for selection uh, if they tested negative so it's I wonder whether that that becomes I mean Jurgen Klopp has been speaking about that and he was he was talking in the context of signing players and how if, if you sign an unvaccinated player that there's always the risk that they have to sort of do everything separately which will detract from team spirit basically and, and, and unity within the squad um, well I think we might find that situation happening within existing squads now as well. They're going to get themselves in a real mess over this, aren't they? To be honest. But the, the, the sport is. I mean, you know, if you end up with two different... I mean, if you end up segregating players who are who are not vaccinated and vaccinated, and they're not alone in this either. I mean, you know, it's happening in the NBA. There's all sorts going on there. There's all sorts going on in the NFL. And Aaron Rodgers at Green Bay has had an awful lot of hoo-ha around him over him saying he isn't going to be vaccinated. This is this is a wider issue than just football. This is a, this is a sport issue. Yeah, and when you look at what is it, eighty four percent now, I think have now have started their vaccination journey. Is the way that the Premier League described it yesterday. Um, so that, like like they're on X Factor. Like they're on X Factor. That was the phrase they used. Vaccination journey. So I think that means sixteen percent of Premier League players. Um, and I think it's low in the EFL, isn't it, based on the numbers the other day, still haven't even had a first jab. Um, and if we're looking, you know, so even if they now embark on that journey, you're looking at a pretty spaced out period before they get to a point where they can do everything together. Um, and that is going to cause a mess in that inevitably within that 16%, there's going to be some really, really good and famous footballers. Um, and that's going to become a big deal. And the Premier League needs to decide, is, is if you have a really, really famous footballer who is unvaccinated and that becomes public knowledge, does that actually become a deterrent to those who already believe that being vaxxed is a bad idea or further inspiration? If you see some of your heroes saying this isn't the best idea, I'm not prepared to do it, I'm even prepared to not train with my team or get changed separately from my team because I'm so convinced it might not be a good idea. So I think that's the risk that the Premier League have to think about as well as in- in- encouragement because you know they are at 80, they're, I think 92% for staff and players, which isn't bad. For staff and players, when you look at clubs as institutions, I think that's above what it is for most of society. So I think we have to be slightly careful about not treating footballers as a unique case in this. But clearly, you know, footballers also have access to more medical information than the everyday person. They're being told every day by experts. But I don't know. I think sometimes we also forget footballers, 
don't listen to club medical staff on a daily basis as well. They have their own nutritionists. They have their own recovery staff. They have their own fitness experts that will be telling them one thing and the club staff will be telling them other things. Well, yeah, although some some people have said to me, though, uh, as well, Phil, and this that club medical staff and physios often give, often give players injections for whatever it may be and players willingly take it or sleeping tablets or whatever if they're struggling or whatever it is. This may be in the past. It may be better now. So, you know, there are people who have the other point of view. At the, at the end of all of this, though, what I would say, Phil, is I, I don't why we don't have any right, do we, to know what a, a footballer's medical history is we don't have any right do we to know whether and that's what i feel for them they are they are human beings at the end of this and which whichever way they go as i have discovered you know with with you know if you make public comments on vaccinations you are going to get absolutely piled on one way or the other it is difficult and i was just thinking there as adam was talking that there is no real narrative around the, the footballers who don't want the vaccine because nobody's really speaking about it and and nobody's really articulating the reasons for not for not taking the vaccine and i i understand why not because you know what the the public reaction to that will be um I agree with you about, you know, knowing intrinsically the medical history of, of individual players. And actually, ethically, you, you do have an issue in, in football writing at the moment, which is that it, it, it seems unfair to confirm cases of COVID unless, you know, clubs or players confirm them themselves, because it is kind of their private medical data. And it's hard to know where you stand on that, because it has become such a public issue and, and public topic of, of conversation. But if you think of certain other illnesses, you would never think of writing about them without somebody's permission, because it's just kind of not the not the done thing. Adam and I were, were chatting about something um, over WhatsApp the other day, which was to say that... This is a, bad, this is a bad start to a sentence. <laughs> <laughs> this is, it, is, it, is, it is about the only way we communicate, isn't it? Um, it? You have a situation, and I know it's not set in stone because nothing really seems to be set in stone with COVID, but situation where supporters are being asked to provide COVID passports to come into, into stadiums. So do you have a COVID passport that shows that you've had one jab, two jabs, the booster, whatever else but you have players who can go into the same stadiums having had no boosters no jabs no vaccinations at all and it does seem like there's disparity there and i get that on the terraces you're mixing with far more people and there isn't a covid bubble and, and clubs certainly leads are at the moment but you know clubs have been very strict about the covid bubbles but it does seem to me to be fairly inconsistent that you can have a scenario where technically speaking if you turn up to the ground and they're doing spot checks on covid passports you need one to get in but you can be a player who has not had a vaccine, is not going to take a vaccine, doesn't want to do it, who can go into the same ground and, and play. Um, but it is wildly complicated. And you're absolutely right about pylons. I, th I think the first player to, to come out and say they don't want the vaccine and to properly explain why not, we'd have a very hard time with things. But that depends on your bubble, doesn't it? As in your social media bubble, because there'll be a reaction that you or I might see, which will be really, really critical. <laughs> Then there's this other social media world where this player will be a hero, mm -hmm. right? Like, and I think that's where it's quite an interesting thing in terms of how do you connect with these people who don't want the vaccine? And it's probably that they are consuming information that we aren't even seeing in a, in a lot of cases um, and that's being shared on WhatsApp groups or Facebook or, or whatever. And I think that's one of the things that makes it so complicated. I think it's probably fair to say, though, that the attitudes within the game, certainly within professional people in the game, would be strongly against them. And that's why I, I sort of find the resistance a little bit difficult to understand. It, as you were saying, Mark, you know, 
there is virtually nothing on which players won't take advice from the medical people around them at clubs because most of them are uber qualified and, and know about these things. But this seems to be the one area and the, the one aspect of, of medical treatment where there is still kind of lingering doubt about it and resistance to actually having it. Uh, just a final one on this before we talk about the transfer window, just for some light relief. Um, the <laughs> just 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 searching for anything to end the final pod of the year on on with with the smile on people's faces. Um, do do you think, uh, Dom Dom first, then maybe Adam, that we're recording this on Tuesday morning before the managers and captains meetings? Do you think they'll come out with a different message than the, the chairman and the chief exec? <laughs> I, I I suspect they will express some frustration but i doubt they will i doubt they will go against their employers wishes and i mean look some of these guys i mean tuchel amongst them where would chelsea fit in these extra games chelsea have got the club world cup to compete in in february as well by the way how how on earth how can that go ahead well i mean how how can and how can afcon go ahead as well actually to be honest yeah Different questions, but yeah, we'll yeah, have yeah, to see are, where we yeah. the lay of the land at uh, that time of year. When, but I mean, they, they sit, they're in five competitions as we as we speak. It's for this season, and I, I just I don't know when they would have done it. They would have been <laughs> they'd been catching up fixtures until August. I mean, it's just not going to happen. It's uh, so I suppose he has to balance it with that. But I suspect there will be some frustration that that um, that they're being told to play on. I think that, that certainly within that group there will be some play, players and managers who will be desperate for a circuit breaker. Some of them have expressed it publicly already. Thomas Frank has already said it. The, the manage, I think a lot of managers are concerned about the fact they've basically got three games in five days with a vastly reduced squad. And that, you know, I think particularly you know, Klopp, I know some people have looked at his comments the last few days saying, oh, he's only talking because it's bad for him and you know, his vested interests, all that sort of same argument as we had at the start of the pandemic. And there's probably an element of that. But he's also been pretty consistent over the last couple of years around players being overplayed, um, the risk to player welfare, about the, the, the burden and load of games. And, and I think we will see some pretty shambolic situations come about in that second and third phase of the festive period because you're going to now have players mixing with their families around Christmas. There aren't that many rules, are there, really, around people actually flying into the UK. So I'm sure some players will have visitors from abroad uh, for the festive period. The players aren't bubbling up in hotels or anything like that. And all the information from the government is that cases are on the rise. So there's only going to be more disruption, you would think, over the next few games. Um, And that means squads are going to be stretched. And that means you're going to have certain players having to play a hell of a lot of football in a short space of time. Um, So, yeah, let's talk about the transfers because it sounds more fun. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Are Leeds going to sign anyone then, Phil? I think, I think they're going to have to. I mean, they, they're 
notorious really or say notorious they, they are in the habit of of avoiding the january window they, they don't like it financially don't think it's great value for money but he also doesn't think you can pick up players who are up to speed for him um particularly ready uh, and the players who would be ready tend to be extremely extremely expensive but they've they've kind of reached the point where there's there's no alternative i don't think i mean adam was right what he's saying about the, the squad size at leeds bielsa has always ridden with a, a very small squad and it's worked for him for three years but i think the fact that it's worked for three years doesn't mean that it's working now and certainly injuries have put more pressure on this season than, than, than ever before the, the one thing i would say in his defense with regards to this weekend just gone is that i think even with a bigger squad they would have seriously felt the pinch because of the number of players who who are missing but is the is the midfield more than anything where they've been light it was the midfield where they tried to get Conor Gallagher from Chelsea um, in the summer also looked at Lewis O'Brien from Huddersfield and even going back to the previous summer window they they came very close to getting Michael Cuisance from Bayern Munich that fell through because of a an issue with his medical so they have been looking in that area anyway but they've got Phillips out until probably February Liam Cooper the same they've got plenty of other players you know Bamford strike um injured as well they, they've they've got to pad this out it's not to say that they might not have the legs anyway to stay up because there are clearly clubs below them who are in trouble as well. But I think on this particular occasion, it would be a, a very, very big risk to go through January and do nothing. A Leeds fan who I was talking to last night mentioned Lewis O'Brien uh, again. and But also his wider point was if they're going to sign players, then they're going to have to sign players who are playing week in, week out at the moment because their fitness might be roughly near what Bielsa requires rather than going to other Premier League clubs and picking out one of their, you know, subs or reserves or whatever. They need players who are match fit now and ready to go, which means they might be looking in a slightly lower end market than maybe Leeds fans would like. No, I don't mean dis- I don't mean that disrespectfully to Lewis O'Brien and the Championship, but no, but you're right, and there'll be budget reasons for that as well. I don't think there'll be a massive amount of money at Leeds. I don't think they, they could go particularly big in this window. But the, if you look back to the signing they they made um, six months before they were promoted, John Kevin Augustine from from RB Leipzig. He hadn't played a huge amount of football. He'd been at Monaco, but he'd been on loan and he'd been in and out. It all kind of come to an end for him at, at Leipzig. Um, and Leeds took him on loan with a, an obligation to sign him for, for £80 million um, if they if they went up. And that's still be, uh, being processed by the Court of Arbitration for Sport because Leeds pulled out of that signing. Leipzig think they should have gone through with it. Somebody in early next year um, is, is going to get stung for, for money one, one way or the other. But the issue with Augustine was that he just wasn't up to Bielsa's levels of training or, or fitness. Um, so in the end, he played, I think it was in total, 43 minutes. Um, and, and that's... More than anything, this time round, what they, they have to avoid is anybody arriving who takes a month, month and a half to, to get ready, because by that point, they'll be into March and, and almost at the end of the season. So I agree with you. It needs to be players who can play straight away, which makes me wonder if if the loan market might be an option for them. I, I almost feel like they need to be, they need to think in a bit more of a short term way. I know pragmatism is not something you generally apply to Bielsa as a rule, but perhaps be a bit more pragmatic about what they're open to, who they might take and, and who, even in a short period of time, might just help them you know, have the legs to get far enough ahead of the bottom three and to make sure that they, they don't go down because they, they cannot afford that. Chelsea can't bring someone like Conor Gallagher back. They don't have a recall, do they, Dom? Well, they did have a recall, but um, he's played 50% of the 
the games that he was available for for Crystal Palace, so so that, therefore that clause is null and void. Same with Billy Gilmore at uh, Norwich City, I believe. So so they don't they don't have those options. To, in in all honesty, I think that they're. The hope is that their midfield personnel are, are, are returning to fitness now, so they should be okay in that area. The, the, the area that is a concern still is left wing back, um, where they will assess Ben Chilwell's recovery from his knee ligament injury at the beginning of January to see whether he needs surgery or not. If it's surgery, then he's out for the season. If if not, then well, presumably he'll be he'll be available by the end of the transfer window, and they'll probably just muddle on through. Um, but you know, there has given that Marcus Alonso is a very different kind of player. We all we sort of we're drawn to the attacking side of Alonso's game, but he's he's actually a lot slower on the pitch than than Ben Chilwell is, and and that's that's provided a bit of an imbalance to Chelsea's attacking play in in recent weeks. They have really missed Chilwell because when Chilwell and Reese James were were going at going at defences, it was. The nearest thing you'll get to Andy Robertson and Trent Alexander-Arnold doing what they do for, for Liverpool, um, so that they will they will look at that and they will they will make a judgment on that. But again, I can't see them spending massive money in in January because I think I don't think the personnel will be out there. A lot of clubs will be very resistant to losing players in January, not least because yeah. they'll need bigger squads to cope with the can, the pandemic. Uh, David Ornstein reporting that Jesse Lingard's going to stay put at Manchester United. We might as well end with some. United cynicism, shall we, Adam? <laughs> the pair of you. Go on. End as we need <laughs> to go on. Yeah, um, end, uh, yeah. So um, they're going to lose two players on a free in the summer. Well, Lingard and Pogba, um, if Paul Pogba doesn't sign a new contract. Yeah, and also they can't even get rid of players now that certain fans might want them to get rid of. Definitely not us, but play, you know, I think players that they may have thought, oh, we could get a bit of money for him in January... They may now be thinking we need to keep players around because of the pandemic and we're, the squad's decimated and we need to keep the squad as big as possible, which is quite, I think it's going to be a challenge as well for those clubs such as, you know, whether it's Leeds or Newcastle or whoever's spending down the bottom of the table who thought, or oh, maybe we can just get him on loan for six months from one of the bigger clubs. I think they're probably going to be having to look abroad now. Um, but then again, even clubs abroad will be loath to lose players but then maybe clubs will be more stretched financially as well that can be exploited because you know they'll be concerned about match day income you know Germany's gone already hasn't it in terms of reducing in certain grounds the, the attendances um, as, as well but in t- I don't think Manchester United will do that much in January unless a central midfielder comes available um, that Ralph Ragnick would really want Let's end with a, a highlight of 2021 then, football, in football, not not any, anything else that's been going on. Your personal football highlight of 2021. You go first, Dom. Oh, I'm going to go a bit sentimentally, I'm afraid, but the um, oh. no, no one else is going to suggest that Crystal Palace won, Newcastle United won, was a, was a highlight for them, I, I, I doubt. <laughs> but that was the first the first game I've taken my, my 12-year-old to um, since fans came back into the stadium, and um, he he missed eighteen months, and when you when you're eleven or twelve years old, that's quite a big proportion of your life when you haven't been going to, to football matches. So to to be able to do that, to be able to watch a game with a full uh, full um, Selhurst Park, watching it from the Arthur Waite stand as a fan, to celebrate a, a, a goal from your own team, but also just to look at the delight on his face when Callum Wilson scored an overhead kick, because you know all twelve-year-olds love scoring bicycle kicks and overhead kicks. 
So to see, even to see him sort of turn around and say, wow, that was a good goal, even scored by the opposition, I, that, that just made my day. And, and yeah, I, I, I'm desperately, desperately, desperately hoping that we get to keep fans in stadium for as, as, as long as possible because, you know, times like that are pretty priceless. I think if I'd have been asked to guess your personal highlight, I could have been here for a long time coming, <laughs> up, with, uh, coming up with Palace 1, Newcastle 1. By the way, the Athletics Best of 2021 uh, is published today, so uh, you can uh, you can read that uh, on the Athletic. Go on, Phil. Um, I didn't I didn't get to go to this game actually because I was I was off work at the time. But I think it was the the stars aligning so that Pablo Hernandez got a, a send off from a crowd of sorts at, at Ellen Roads on the last game of, of last season. I mean, he he has been I think without question the best signing in twenty years at Leeds, and and definitely the player I've I've most enjoyed writing about and most enjoyed watching. I think Rafinha is going to run him close at this rate, but it did. He didn't play much last season. There were issues between him and and Bielsa. It was all kind of end, you know, heading for a sort of tepid and, and quiet end, um, which would have been a travesty really um, on the basis of, of his performances. So nice for him, even though it was only eight thousand in, in Ellen Road. Um, nice, nice for him to get a proper farewell. I thought. Good stuff, and Adam. England to Germany nil was incredible uh, just in terms of you know being able to be with people watching that game um, was really great Thomas Muller's miss Harry Kane's goal Gareth Southgate looking so happy the belief we might actually win it at that point I think that was probably the high point we will end it there thank you <laughs> Merry Christmas Merry Christmas and to you and to you <laughs> That's it. Thanks very much for listening. You can subscribe to The Athletic now and get a 33% discount by heading to theathletic.com slash football pod. So you'll be able to read The Athletic's best of 2021 if you do that. And then Dan and Flo will have their usual show tomorrow. Uh, I'll be back in the new year. Have a happy and hopefully safe Christmas. Bye-bye. The Athletic.